bless you for being an angel just when it seemed that heaven was not for me hello and welcome to drunk church this is a special episode on the movie possession <laughs> And you are? Oh, um, yeah, I'm Cosima V. Concordia, and you are? Aurora Leiborn Canlish. Incredible. I think this film does a really great job at, like, not blaming anyone and also not letting anyone off the hook. Mm-hmm. I think this is the best film about a breakup ever made. I mean, one of the best films ever made in general, but also definitely the best film about a breakup ever made for sure and i think that that also is why it works so well on a surreal level like it doesn't need to make sense because there's a degree of fantasy at work like there's all this like wish fulfillment or there's all these things that we just don't need answers to because you just don't get that kind of closure ever and it's teasing us in those ways it's showing us how painful that is to just not know or just for things to be strange and unexpected in our intimate relationship to think about it in terms of like sexuality beyond consent like to think about possession as a film that you can explain entirely in rationalist terms is i think to defeat part of the purpose because it exists as it is for a reason it has a lot of bodily affect in it there's a lot of blood and spit and probably come you know just lots of fluids a lot of mucus. Yeah, mucus. So there's all of these different excrements. They're both disgusting, but they're also really intimate. Those are the things that we're trying to expel. But then they're also the things that we want to share with the ones that are closest to us. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, some scenes that we can look at to apply that. Sexuality Beyond Consent talks about how the experience of art can be bodily effective and how that mm-hmm. operates in a mythopoetic scale. So your experiencing the thing as it relates to your unconscious it's not something that is entirely explainable in rationalist terms so during this discussion like we are talking about how we interpret individual things which does require language does require us to talk about it but at the same time the plot in itself is existing slightly outside of rationality so it is Mm -hmm. never fully bound in by logic so there's not anything in the film can be like, this means that. There is always a remainder, always an extra that the meaning is left with. And that's why it is such an affecting film that plays so much on us. And like, as the director himself said, that it was an incredibly personal film for him. And there was kind of the sense of horror that something that was so deeply personal was then seen and taken out by so many people and also had that affect on them too. That that idea that something that seems only yours, something that only you went through, is actually Mm -hmm. something that really resonates on this deep level for so many people. Do we want to introduce the characters and then do a quick overview of the plot just to get on the same page? (laughs) Which kind of goes against the point you just made, but here I am yeah, with my facile logic. So we have Anna, who is the wife, and we have Mark, who is the husband. And at the beginning of the film, Mark has just come back from some sort of business trip. And he's a spy. I was going to reveal that he was a spy. 
Oh, damn it. Sorry. No, it, it's, <laughs> I got really excited. No, 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 no. It's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's, it, it's okay. So he's a spy, but he's pretending to be, you know, a businessman and he's been away for a while and something has changed with Anna and they have a child named Bob, which for some reason, every single time they call him Bob, like it makes me want to laugh <laughs> because oh, <laughs> I, I, like a child named Bob is just like really absurd. Like children are not named Bob or shouldn't be named Bob. That is a name for like an old balding man. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, so it's, it just being this young boy is very funny to me. He's also utterly un-European, that name, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's very, very funny. <laughs> and so it's set in Berlin, and it's during the time of, like, the Great Wall, so it's separating them, and there's this kind of, like, ever-present sense of being watched. Like, lots of the time, it will zoom in on this gray wall and, like, show the soldiers on the other side watching with binoculars. Mm -hmm. There's this real ever-present sense of everyone's identities and the way that everyone relates to each other being in this tense place, like, about to crumble, basically. There's this tension, this feeling that Anna has changed. And at the same time, Mark doesn't feel like he can really trust what Anna says anymore about, like, where she is. And they, like, talk really frankly to each other in a way that is, like, kind of disarming and, and like, a little mm-hmm. disconcerting sometimes. It's almost at times feels like they're having inner dialogue, but they're just, like, talking to each other mm-hmm. <laughs> about, like, disgust they feel for each other. And this leads to things like Anna leaving Bob all alone at the house for, like, a really long time. And this is after she reveals that she is actually having an affair this entire time. So she's been having an affair for about a year. And then it ends up being with this guy, Heinrich. So then once that's revealed, it kind of continues to dissolve steadily, steadily. And Heinrich is a new age (laughs) polyamorous. Like there's a lot of like very homoerotic tension between Heinrich and Mark, which is really fun and interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Where Heinrich is like, we are on the same lake coming at each other from opposite shores. <laughs> yeah, in a mountain lake. Yeah, in a mountain like, lake. We are part of the worst shape, the triangle. <laughs> yeah. And his like, shirt is always most of the way unbuttoned. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like doing drugs too. Like Mark quips about him just like oh you want dope are you like gobbling shrooms like so you know that he's just like on the spiritual plane like i don't know doing peyote and stuff you just get that vibe from him he also owns a motorcycle (laughs) and i mean i think it's about at this point that the film starts to make sense as something that of course the fucking uk would ban I don't know if america ever banned it either I, i wouldn't be surprised it starts to be very clearly about not just the dissolution of a relationship, but also the dissolution of a family, right? Mm -hmm. So Mark kind of like goes wildly in between begging for her to stay and her like wanting to stay and then leaving. And then him saying as an ultimatum that he doesn't want to be in Bob's life anymore because he doesn't just want to be a Sunday daddy. It's always wild to me to think that that's actually was the norm and still is the norm in a lot of places where like if you, you know, if you divorce the wife, like the 
the guy just kind of like leaves, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like maybe financially supports them, but like doesn't really exist in the same way as like the emotional figure, which is uh, yeah, yeah, quite fucking wild. Like the justification too, and he even says he's like, I don't want to fuck him up more than he is at being the Sunday daddy. It's like. You don't think that abandoning your child? <laughs> yeah, completely abandoning uh, your fucking kid. The kid also likes Henry. The kid, like, is all about Uncle Henry and loves his dad. It's just like, this child doesn't mind the circumstance. It's you adults that can't figure it out. Yeah, um, the kid's just kind of vibing. Yeah. <laughs> Feral. <laughs> <laughs> Feral child. Yeah, and so then, you know, the... Mother, like, leaves him in the house or, like, leaves for several days while Mark is having these fits where he's, like, going through the process of grieving, basically. And that kind of, like, manifests as, like, a literal possession. Like, it, you know, feels very similar to possession, demon possession movie where he's, like, having fits. He's, like, sweating. He, like, doesn't know Mm -hmm. what time it is. And then it ends up that Bob's, like, been home for you know, a really long time basically by himself and he's all dirty because he's like hasn't had a bath in days. And and I think steadily the title possession gets more and more clear, both as thinking of it in this kind of like demonic something takes possession of your body away, but also the want to possess each other, the want mm-hmm. to possess ourselves, and then the feeling of something that is both us and not us overtaking us. So like What does it mean to have a stable ego that is like actually deciding like what you want and what you don't want? And what is it to like be possessed by the need or the desire for something? And how do those things conflict? Mm -hmm. The strange inability that people have when going through breakups of letting each other go. So this is either by not fully leaving, like just not being committed to just revealing that you were having an affair when that affair begins or not fully committing to well okay please move out (laughs) in a timely manner but also by hanging on because they both hang on to each other when he goes back to the apartment after having had his breakdown and like spiraling into like alcoholism and going on a bender but i think the reading of it being this like like being possessed by grief is much more interesting Uh, So he goes and they're reunited and they have this reconciliation where there's still a desire to possess one another. There's still like some love there. And he undresses her and she's like, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. And he puts her into bed, wakes up and she's gone. And she has this note that's like, my love, trust me, my love, I'll be back. She's not fully able to, to leave. And like, they're both just sort of hanging on to each other. She's like hanging on to his feelings. I think the degree of horror there this is before we're getting into the body horror and i think also before we're getting into like the domestic abuse that this film depicts um, both physical and psychological is the horror that they're unable to let go of each other like they have this need to possess each other but they don't really love each other they start to just hate each other more than they love each other and that they also just don't make each other happy they're just doing it almost out of spite you know we bring everything back to abolish the family on the show but it really <laughs> is about how it's unclear what they ever had in the first place it's unclear why they're together beyond the fact that they like have a child and were already together um Mm -hmm. and that they do have this feeling of intense attraction and intense disgust like through this process of decoupling 
But at the same time, it's not clear what they had except for like kind of acquiescence to societal norms in the first place. Like part Mm -hmm. of the point of Mark is that he's like boring square guy and like, yeah, sure, he's a spy. But like in his life, he's just a dude in a suit coming home. Mm -hmm. You talked about like the feeling of Anna's ribs. Right before that, he also feels Bob's ribs in a similar way. Mm -hmm. There's something so fascinating about that juxtaposition, the feeling of looking at someone that you like love or feel this intense possession over Mm -hmm. this like very concrete way and then seeing that their body has changed kind of like without you knowing because like so much time has passed or something presenting itself that is so normal in your life suddenly becoming alien to you that there's a kind of horror to that yeah and so I think that is a continual theme that arises um, the ribs, too, are so symbolic. So I thought you were going to make the connection between God having made Eve out of Adam's rib. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sense of belonging. So like the two levels of meaning there. So the meaning of, okay, so this thing that was so familiar is suddenly different. But also this thing that's so familiar that also I feel entitled to because I feel belongs to me because I am the God here. Mm-hmm. So there's also this theme throughout the film of like, oh, have you seen God? I, I am God. Like, where is God? Mark definitely thinks he's God. <laughs> <laughs> or at least in that moment he thinks he's god in the way that like the family convinces men that they're like the god of the family mm-hmm. which in a way is just a recreation of theology mm-hmm. it's also funny how much heinrich kind of looks like mark but like a more muscular like way more gay version his shirt's buttoned down his pants are like a little bit lower mark wears his pants very high <laughs> there's so much doubling in this because Mm -hmm. then like also the relationship between Heinrich and Mark where Heinrich is like so touchy the entire time I was waiting for them to like fuck (laughs) like every time I watch it I'm like wow this is like deeply homoerotic it's quite wild for it like you know not being about that I want to talk about the doppelgangers but I don't think we're quite there Mm -hmm. yet I am interested in what you have to say about like this desire to fuck the person that your ex is fucking or the way that we fantasize about fucking our exes or the way in which we fantasize about who our ex is like sleeping with. Because I think that that's at play with the doppelgangers and with uh, Mark and Henrik and then also with like the creature. But I want to talk a little bit about the knife scene. Can I cover a little bit of stuff before that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Sorry. I was just saying because of introducing Heinrich. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting that Heinrich insists that the reason that he's being chosen is that he accepts Anna's ways and that that can't be controlled. And so the only reason or the reason that she's coming to him is because he accepts her for that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, like it quickly complicates that. So Mark eventually like hits Anna and Anna like looks back and smiles almost like she likes it or that there's like some sort of like catharsis there Mm -hmm. then insists that he hit her more and then basically saying that like the amount that she has sinned would require more violence (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is so horrifying because it's the absolute authoritarianism of how Mark seems to have viewed himself and Anna's world. And then as that like begins to crumble, the only way that that can be enacted is through this violence. And then when the violence doesn't work, 
and she like literally smiles at it. It's the peak of impotence. Mm -hmm. This is contrasting when Mark tried to punch Heinrich just a few scenes earlier and then Heinrich just like completely fucks him up <laughs> like <laughs> but then also like weirdly tender to him like almost like carrying his body like lovingly like while he also mm -hmm. like punches the shit out of him mm -hmm. and then like at that point when Mark hits Anna it's after she's like threatened suicide that she'll jump out a window if she's kept there mm -hmm. and then she like goes outside after Mark says that he'll follow you and she says don't even try and this truck with cars mm -hmm. on it suddenly swerves out of her way because she like runs into the street and two different cars fall off of it and she obviously gets pleasure from that and there's this mm -hmm. sense of both catharsis through the destruction but also a sense of power that like through this action she caused something that really had this tangible impact that her running outside was doing something in mm -hmm. a quite literal sense. Yeah. And we can also talk about the very real horror of like breaking up with someone or just like ending any kind of relationship where there are people out there that just want to impose harm, pain, chaos on the other and the seduction to do that. Yeah. At one point they want to possess each other, but then they also just they really want to hurt each other. Mm -hmm. They want to say the cruelest things possible. They want to degrade each other. She also mentions, like, I think I'm the villain. Like, I'll be the villain. She, like, invites the vilification at one point. Yeah. And, like, Mark goes to the point of hiring a private investigator. And Bob is left to be taken care of. And then Marguerite, who's kind of, like, the best friend of Anna, who Mark has been getting, like, parts of information of, but Marguerite doesn't know everything. She also hates Mark. Yeah, but they also, like, hate <laughs> each other and, like, genuinely loathe <laughs> each other. And so then there's, like, this sexual tension that ends up with them. Um, do they fuck? I don't remember if they fuck. No, he, like, puts a blanket on her. They hate each other and she hates him, which is also just such a heterosexual, like, relationship thing where I feel like the best friend always hates the guy yeah <laughs> they're either like 100 percent on the guy's side or they just hate them yeah he says i loathe you marge and she says i love to see you miserable mm -hmm. but there's also like a playfulness to that too yeah so she's watching bob bob <laughs> so hard to take that name seriously she's watching him because she's bringing groceries and he puts her to bed and he like puts a blanket over her and she has like this cast on her leg and he covers her whole body with the blanket and then he comes back into the room i think after he put bob to bed like to check on her and the blanket is off of her body mm -hmm. it's implied that she like exposed herself to him and so then he sits down next to her and she puts her head on his lap mm -hmm. and so i don't know i don't know how to read into that or what the stakes of them having sex or not is there or but like the i think it's more interesting as a moment of just two people that are going through it like she's a broken leg she's a cast they both have this really intensive relationship with the same woman like in a sense that's its own little triangle might be making them both miserable in different ways and they just like are vulnerable in front of each other like they otherwise hate each other Otherwise make each other miserable, but then there's just like a second of tenderness or a second where he's seen all of her and she's seen all of him. I think mm -hmm. that's more interesting. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about the meat cutter scene? Yeah. Go for it. So 
he drops Bob off at school and he is met with Bob's teacher who looks exactly like his wife. And at first he's sort of shocked. He's like, this is a cruel joke. And she laughs about it. Like, and he's pretty violent with her. Like he grabs her and he like pulls at her hair. He's like, is this, is this a wig? And she's just so genial. She's just so gentle and kind and just laughs it off and like goes into the building. So she's already presented as this idealized, more perfect, motherly, kind version of Anna. And she's literally played by the same actress, so. But her hair is lighter and it's like back in a braid versus Anna's hair is like always like a little bit crazy even when it's put up. She's wearing all white and she only ever wears all white throughout the film. She's just very pure, feminine, motherly, kind. So he has this interaction with the teacher. He goes back home to the apartment and he finds Anna in the kitchen with this electric knife cutting up meat and putting it into a grinder. And they have this altercation where she tells him how disgusting he makes her feel and how she needs to leave in order to be alone and that he cannot possibly understand her. Mm -hmm. They're just slinging cruel words at each other. And then he turns around. Just before that, the thing about this scene is that they're having such interesting contradictions within Anna's like actual impulses and actual desires where, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of divide between ego and id are really coming to the surface. Like one of Mark's fears is that Anna would want a family with Heinrich. Mm -hmm. And part of that relationship and that tension is that in a way Heinrich's relationship to Anna can like only exist through Mark and Anna's estrangement and as Mark still being like a present figure but like Heinrich and Anna don't really exist and like their tension and eroticism like outside of that context (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I think is a pretty common way some people feel sometimes she only desires Heinrich insofar as he isn't Mark but then once Mark's out of the picture then why would she even want Heinrich so they're having this intensive altercation and he turns his back for a second and she takes the knife and she puts it to her throat and just (laughs) gives herself like a huge gash along her neck and he realizes what she's doing and immediately just starts attending to her and he's horrified and he's scared for her and he like starts to be very tender and bandages her up and she's still being cold and despondent toward him then he's left alone in the kitchen and he just takes the knife and he starts sawing down his arm making cuts down his arm and she's just pacing like she's running around the house just like packing up and she just doesn't pay him any mind the scene is just him sitting in that kitchen and him just like in so much pain just waiting for her to recognize that he's in pain. And then finally she reappears at the doorway having bandaged her throat and she just looks at him and she says something along the lines of, it doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. And that really stuck out to me because he was so hurt. Like there's that possessiveness, there's that pain in seeing someone that you love as much as At that point, their relationship really turned into one of of loathing, but like love and hate are two very strong emotions. They're very connected. And then for him to be in so much pain, for him to like be in so much emotional and physical pain and to have like manifested that pain through all those 
cuts and like he's bleeding through his shirt and she's like oh it doesn't hurt me mm-hmm. <laughs> like your pain means nothing to me you mean nothing to mm-hmm. me thought that scene was just really remarkable like i do think it was saying that that it doesn't hurt her but she was also almost telling mark that like that it doesn't hurt you like that there's like a numbness that has happened i thought that doubleness was interesting it's scary falling out of love with someone it's painful falling out of love with someone but it's also a very numb kind of pain which is i think what compels or propels so much of the psychological horror of this film mm-hmm. you are mourning for them But then you're also just like praying, like, please break up, please break up. You want some kind of happy ending, which is also something that's so affecting is that even watching a man throwing over tables in a public space or like hitting her until she's spitting up blood, the cruel, evil things that they do to each other, there's still a part of you that's like, oh, like, I hope that they figure things out. (laughs) Like, that's like that scary kind of conditioning. Which I think is horrifying and scary. I don't want that to get misconstrued of like me wanting them to get back together. But there is a kind of way that we're conditioned to want a happy ending. And then to be forced to confront that is scary. So you're watching this couple do terrible things to each other. And there's still a part of you that's like, maybe they'll get back together for the sun. It's like, oh, they love each other. They'll work it out. We're so conditioned to see that as the happy ending. And that's horrifying. Like, it's horrifying how that is the happy ending. The happy ending is resolving the differences and getting back together. There's a part of them that I think also is grappling with that of like, what does our happy ending look like now that we know that we can't be together? And I really love that ambiguity or I really love that you're forced to reckon with that. You're forced to reckon with like the horrors of heteronormativity. Mm -hmm. The investigator, we see him follow Anna for the first time to to her house. Mm -hmm. And the investigator is just like, I don't know how much this scene's supposed to be comedic and how much he's supposed to be portrayed as like incompetent. He's like really bad at it, I feel. (laughs) Like he seems really obvious. Oh yeah. But anyway, he like finds out where the house is, tells Mark, and then goes into the apartment that Anna's in under the guise of needing to inspect the windows. Mm Mm-hmm. It definitely feels like Anna knows what's going on. But at this point, she's really losing it and goes into fits and goes in between like laughing. And I feel like this is almost the entire film, but her eyes always feel like they have tears in them. Like she's on the brink of tears, even Uh when she's laughing, no matter what. She's quite incredible. And then he ends up being like offered wine by Anna And then he acts like very put off by the offer. And then he ends up seeing this grotesque thing in the room. And he's uh, stabbed in the neck with the wine bottle. And Mm -hmm. so that kind of starts the real action of the film, I suppose. Mm -hmm. That's when you get like the body horror elements, not just the psychological horror. And the first time we see the thing or the creature, it's like quite small and it's like bloody. It moves in a very disconcerting way that's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking about what it resembles. It's almost like a larva. Mm-hmm. And it's at this point not humanoid at all, but she's very protective of it. The symbolism of what that creature could be and the way that it relates to jealousy and this is such a cliche but the idea of like jealousy being a monster so even the teacher something that 
distinguishes her from Anna, even though they're the same actress and they're meant to be doppelgangers, is that she has green eyes. She's like the green-eyed monster. And this creature that Anna is staying with in this dilapidated apartment and like taking care of and having this like intensive sexual relationship with also has green eyes. There's this way that they symbolize, at least to me, the way that we idealize our relationship with the people that we're with um, or our exes or like we think about the versions that we wish they were. The myth making can look very pretty and like in the sense of the teacher where she's again this very angelic clad in white maternal figure but then it also is like kind of horrifying like there's something very horrifying about like thinking about like what it would mean like to have a sexual relationship with the better version of your ex like that's kind of disgusting mm-hmm. <laughs> or the kind of disgusting ways that again we can become so jealous and caught up with who we're sleeping with who our exes are sleeping with like mm-hmm. who they have slept with how we compare to those people and there's something that's like really gross about that like there's something that's like kind of horrific but then also kind of human i can't put it in more articulate terms yeah it's disconcerting so like the teacher comes to the house and mark just very fluidly like asks her to help bob out of the bath and the teacher just immediately does it and like you know gets a towel and like tries bob off it's just it's very inappropriate but that feeling of possession over her that feeling of like domesticity and you know her femininity and the things that she's inherently supposed to do and just like naturally do extends so easily to this other person that like the mother is just an archetype to be exploited because the teacher also becomes the idealized better version of his wife who he can fantasize about and objectify because she also she strips down and gets into bed with him and just lies there naked like it's certainly not as graphic as the scenes with anna and the monster like having sex but it is as vulgar as a fantasy of like yeah this better version of your wife who is going to be docile and it's going to be like pretty and obedient um who's like too perfect to have sex with. So you have on one end of the spectrum, like this very viscerally grotesque-ness of screwing the monstrous memory of your ex. And then the very clean looking, very pure looking, fantasizing of having a better relationship with a superior version of the kind of woman your ex was, you know? Mm-hmm, totally. The doppelganger aspect of the film, for me, the ways in which we idealize or we demonize the people that we're close with, that's sort of what that meant to me or how those scenes spoke to me. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. The idea of being replaced by yourself, too, is a very horrifying idea. Like, I think there's something more comforting in thinking that you're being replaced by someone that is extremely different from you. But there's something Mm -hmm. about the idea that, like, just found, like, a slightly different version of you so that they can, you know, kind of get rid of the psychic conflict or the things they did to you or the things you did to them or whatever. Like people with a type. Yeah, Jesus. You know, objectifying is hot in the right context. But, like, you know, you want to, like, actively see the people in your life as full complex people and not just like representatives for your fantasies representatives for some unfulfilled desire Mm -hmm. 
There's like a moment when someone just has this idea that they're chasing. And then if you are someone who just is having that reflected on you, you like there's this startling, arresting moment. You're like, oh, my God, like, it's not me you're seeing. Like, what, what is it that you're chasing? Like, like, what is it that you're looking for? Like, are you trying to replace something that you lost? Or is there this version of this thing that doesn't exist that you're just going to keep? I don't know. <laughs> um manipulating people until they fit the mold yeah or like do you happen to be in a marginalized position where society has given you a script of like us being like literal fetish objects mm -hmm. that you can just kind of use outside of a context so it like fulfills a fantasy box that way that's obviously like always the thing with like transness like it's funny with like lots of rhetoric you know like people will talk about like no one will ever want to fuck you is like one fear that like a lot of trans people have before transition and I think the reality is like more people will want to fuck you <laughs> like that's not the issue the issue is people treating you not like a person and people objectifying you and people enacting violence at you because of desire like mixed with feelings of disgust and stuff it's not about getting laid like that's not what's at stake here <laughs> <laughs> Bless you for being an angel Just when it seemed that heaven was not for me This is the free version of our review episode on Possession. And if you would like to hear the full version, you can sign up on any level tier at www.patreon.com slash drunk church and also get a lot of other cool things like joining a private discord and other types of exclusive content like discounts on our epic merch <laughs> epic merch yeah oh jesus i haven't heard i thought we retired the word epic oh um, <laughs> oh maybe we did i Maybe I'm not online enough. To... Yeah, that was a faux pas. Or, or I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, you should sign up and join the community if you want to, you know, take a little step further and discuss some of this stuff with other listeners and us. Bless you for building a new dream just when my old Crumble so helplessly in that vine covered chapel on the hill. Your face was a hymn that lingers still. So bless you. My darling, my angel, heaven is mine and life is divine with you. Bless you, darling, for being an angel. Just when it seemed that heaven was not for me. Bless you for building 
a new dream Just when my old dream crumbled so helplessly In that vine-covered chapel on the hill Your face was a hymn that lingers still So bless you, my darling, my angel Heaven is mine and 